0: Go with me to Revelation chapter 5, and uh, my goal is, my goal is in the next couple of weeks for you to understand this chapter in a way you've never understood it before. So now, what I've got to try and do, and not just give you information, I want to minister the word to you this morning. So I'm looking for areas to minister the word, not just give you information and go like, oh, wow, that was interesting. You know, the word is powerful, isn't it? And so I want you to be blessed as we come to it. But I'm going to say things in the next couple of weeks that is, you're going to go like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. And with that information, you're going to understand certain passages in the Bible, maybe, you know, outside of the subject that we're talking about in the book of Revelation. So this morning, I want to talk about Maybe the series is called The Open Book. So let's call this series The Open Book, and today's part one, The Open Book. So today is more or less of an introduction. Books are powerful, are they not? The written word is powerful, and that's why contracts are written down, because you can't argue with something that is written. And so without going into it, books are beautiful. And, you know, I'm glad for electronic things, but I still like to hold a book. You know, when I read, I still like to read the book and not just digital. So books are powerful and, you know, we've got all kinds of sayings about book. Don't judge a book by its cover. Your life is an an open book. And if I was to keep any secular statement, that would be the one that I'm holding for this morning, is that Jesus never intended his life to be a closed book. God always intended his life to be an open book. So just keep that in mind as we go. So we're going to just quickly read, and then I'm going to go into a little bit of historical stuff, or factual stuff, so don't get bored. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, and I saw in the right hand of him, um, chapter 5 is preceded by chapter 4. And chapter 4 starts like this, and after this, I looked and a door was opened in heaven. Everybody say opened. Wow. So heaven is open. Is that okay? And so he sees this open heaven. He sees the scene in heaven. He sees a throne, and he sees one sitting on the throne. That's the background to this verse. Yeah. Then I saw in the right hand of him, he sat on the throne, a scroll, the King James translation. And I saw in the right hand of the, son of the throne, a book written. Everybody say book. The Greek word is biblos, where we get the word Bible from. In Afrikaans, biblio, like is a library. And so, Biblos is the Greek word. And so, I saw in the right hand of him, and it can mean a book or a scroll um, or a letter or something like that, okay? Thrown a book written within and on the backside. Now, just very seldom when writers wrote, very seldom, because remember in those days they would write on and roll it up and it would make a scroll. Yep, right. Very seldom did they write on the back. Yeah, it was actually unusual to write on the back. Yeah, yeah. They only wrote on the back if they'd run out of paper, because, because otherwise when it was rolled up and closed, you could see the writing on the other side, and it could be smudged. So very seldom did they do it. But everything the Holy Spirit caused the writers to write and record is truly inspired and exceptionally important. And so it was written within and on the backside, and then sealed with seven seals. And I promised myself I was not going to explain these verses. But anyway, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And then it goes on, and no man in heaven nor earth nor under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to read the book, neither to look thereon. Now remember when the Bible says no man It's talking about no earthy man, no natural man. Because then steps forward someone who was man, but was a spiritual man. Okay? Okay. And so, one of the elders said to me, Weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Everyone say, the lion. It says, he is worthy to open and read the book. The lion of the tribe, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And when he looks... It says, and behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beats, in the midst of the elders stood a a lamb. Why does John change the picture? Really important. Because he said the line of the tribe of Judah is worthy. So when he looks, it's the lamb now that opens the seals. Now that should tell you it's the cross of Jesus that caused the opening of the book. And he stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And the seven horns he held in his hand, which is the sevenfold spirit, so he had all power and all authority and all wisdom and everything else. And he came and took the book, everyone say the book, out of the right hand of him sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors or incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What a beautiful odor your prayers are. And they sang a new song. Woo-woo. Everyone say a new, song. new song. Saying thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. Woo, Woo. Yes. Woo. Yes. And What's we some? shall reign on earth. Yes. I need to say that again. Yes. We're not going to reign in heaven. No? Yeah. We're going to reign on earth. We're going to reign here. So Jesus is not coming to take us away to go and rule and reign in heaven. He's reigning there, and angels are there. So what are we going to do? No, we are to rule and reign where? Everybody say, on earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And uh, Daniel says the same thing in Daniel chapter 7. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature was in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea and all that is in them I heard, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four be said, Amen. Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever Amen. and ever. Whew. What a powerful passage of Scripture. Maybe during the series we'll start to just unpick the book of Revelation a little bit. But I just want to say something. I've been studying Annalise Van Reinsberg's material, and I really believe she's got it. She's got it. She's got the understanding of the book of Revelation. Well, wow. she really has. And so I want to give her credit. So we've been discussing and talking the book of Revelation for years and years and years. And I remember at one of the conferences, uh, I spoke about the opening of the books. And she sat there, and she was going like, yeah, John, you don't even know what you're saying. And I realized now I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying. I was talking about the opening of the books. She said, I understand. I understand. So she's run ahead now. And um, and now I'm looking at her going like, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, so I give credit where credit is due. What a blessing. And so... I want to just talk a little bit about that passage because it's going to help you understand a lot of things. But before we do that, Jesus said this, or Paul wrote it, but it was quoted by Jesus. He said, um, sacrifices and offerings, Hebrews ten seven, you did not desire, but a body thou hast prepared for me. He says, here I am. It is written about me in the, the what? The volume. Everyone say the volume the volume of the book the volume of the book it's really important to understand this volume of the book the volume of the book so in other words what jesus was saying the book that we have the bible we need to read the volume of the book That's why paul says to timothy study to show thyself approved because it's woven it's um it's interspersed. It's, um, you know, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a God-breathed book, yep. and really, for us to understand it, we need to read it by the same person. That is, read it in the person of the Spirit. Is that right? So we need to read the Word in the Spirit. But in other words, what I'm saying is, you can only understand the book by reading the volume of the book. Jesus said, "It's written about me in the whole Bible. I'm there." In the volume of the book. Yeah. And if, to fully understand the work of Jesus, we need the volume of the book. Now, I want to just say this. To fully understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand the volume of the book. You can't understand Revelation. You can't just take it and read it and think you're going to understand it. It will be a horrible, yeah. nightmarish book. But once you put it into context of the word, it becomes the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Then, revelation chapter 1 yeah. verse 1. The moment you put in the volume of the book. So I want to just talk a little bit about that volume. Okay, The volume of the book. The book, it's one Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed. But there are two testaments, old and new. Okay, Two testaments, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. Written in three basic languages. Basically, Hebrew, the old, and uh, Greek and Aramaic, the new. And then across three continents, different writers wrote. Over around about a period of about 1,500 or so years, it was written. But the amazing thing is, it was written not by one type of person. There were prophets who wrote. There was kings who wrote. There were soldiers who wrote, who were poets. There 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 were doctors who wrote. There were farmers who wrote, there were vineyard dressers who wrote, you know, shepherds who wrote. And so it was written by a whole host of people, but the common thread of the Holy Spirit and His inspiration runs through the entire, entire Bible. And so the Bible then becomes, because it's a God-breathed book, the Bible becomes the place where heaven and earth meet. It's expression of His will, it's expression of His desire, It's the expression of his character. So I'm going to just stop there because, you know, we could say a lot about it. And we need to just understand this volume of the book. And number one, we're going to just have a look at it because within the one book, there's books. And I just want to tell you that there's actually more than 66 books. There's more than 66 books in total. And I want to mention those because when you read the Bible, and I'm sure you've read it already, you're going to read, well, what was that? What is this? So maybe I can touch on it. The first five of the books of the Bible is the Pentateuch, what they call the Pentateuch, Penta meaning five. So the first five books of the Bible is the Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible. Who can quote that for me? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deutero means the second reading of the law. Deuteronomy. But it's very interesting that in the book of the Pentateuch, it's written by Moses. And how many of you know Moses wasn't around in the Garden of Eden? Neither did he see the flood. And when Moses wrote the book, it was because he got it by revelation. Same way John got revelations by revelation. Is that all right? And so... My theory is this. Remember when Moses said, God, I want to see you. I want to see you face to face. When he got up into the mountain, God said, I'm going to put you into a cleft of a rock, and I'm going to go past you. I'm going to hide you with my hand. My front part you cannot see. You can see the back side of me as he walked past. In other words, you cannot see a head. You can see me, but you can see me in history. And as he walked past him... Moses saw back to creation in such detail he was able to describe the creation order he was able to describe in detail the flood He was able to write it down so accurately because he saw the the backside of God okay front side you can't see isn't it awesome now that in the new testament we are able to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ so we can see him face to face. Is that all right? That's a good place to say? Amen. Thank you. And so Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So basically, he was looking back about, I think he was looking back about 1,500 years to the time of Adam. Okay? So the Pentateuch. So, but within those five books, you might read something like, this is the book of beginnings. Because Genesis is the book of beginnings. So within the Pentateuch... We have, and in the book of Genesis, we have the book of beginnings, yeah. which is Genesis. Not all of it, but some of it. Book of beginnings. So it was a scroll that writing on, and uh, it was about the beginnings. The second thing that we find in the book of Genesis, right early on, we get to the creation account, we get to Cain killing Abel, and then Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 starts like this King James translation. He says, this is the book of the generation of Adam. But I I thought we were reading Genesis. Now it comes to this is the book of the generation of Adam. So this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God. Do you know the Bible is full of symbolism? It's full of historical facts and actual things that happen. It's full of um, almost like parables. It has a language of its own. Is that all right? And in order to understand the volume of the book, you've got to get into the language because there's types and shadows, there's numbers that have significance. There's a whole lot of things to understand the word. And it's important that we do understand it. So there is the, the book of the generations of Adam. And really, it's just a very short passage of scripture where it just gives his basically that chapter and maybe the next chapter a little bit. So it's only that amount. But because of the incredible wisdom of the Spirit, the book of the generations of Adam actually becomes the book of the generation of mankind. True. And really, prophetically, it stands for the book of the generation of all natural man, right the way up to Jesus. Because then in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it starts like this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And really, it's only chapter one. But prophetically, symbolically, it stands for the new generation of those who are of Christ, who are not of Adam anymore. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So you've got to understand why they are there. So God has brought this book together of 66 books, but actually within the book, there's books. Okay. Some are mentioned, some are omitted, and we'll just carry on. So it It unfolds, the book of the generations of Adam unfolds almost the generations of of mankind. So, for example, it's prophetic in the sense that Adam had two sons, okay? So, a son died. But that son was the second man. So, along comes Jesus, a son, or the son, but he was the second man from Adam. And he dies, paralleled by Abel. Then he talks about the seventh from Adam. The seventh, the perfect number, the number of completion. The seventh from Adam was a man by the name of Enoch, who never tasted death, who walked with God. Then he wasn't. He was translated. So talking about the day will come, the seventh day after creation, when it's fully fulfilled, we will not experience death, those of us who walk with God, but we will be. Translated. And so it becomes incredibly powerful. Within the books of the Pentateuch, there is the book of memorial, which Moses was writing, which God told him to write down. And it was a memorial of all the acts and the power of God and his provision and, you know, all the signs and wonders. It was the book of memorial. Then also, I think it's in the book of Numbers, there's also the book of the wars of the Lord, the book of wars. So they were to record all the wars and write it down and all the victories they had. It's really interesting. It's interesting. Here comes an interesting thing. Before Babel, there was no war. After Babel, because of the diversity of mankind and the misunderstandings, wars began. From after the Tower of Babel, references to the world and world populations also became mentioned, and you've got to understand this, Woo-hoo. especially when we get to Revelation 10. Is that okay? Yeah. Everybody listening? Yeah. And this is where people get things really messed up concerning the end times and the Antichrist and all of these, these things. But after Babel, the book of wars, but then also after Babel, references become to the earth as the seas or the sea the land islands quite a few places especially in the book of isaiah the prophet he refers to and even to the islands to the you know the land the seas of the islands this is all prophetic language or symbolic language and so suddenly after babel and uh, the selection of abraham and then you know going into israel the sea stood for nations other than Israel. The land or the earth was Israel. And the islands were groups of people. So I'll just throw one thing at you. One thing. Revelation 10, John sees this powerful, mighty angel, face shining like the sun. We just read it just now. It's interesting that the apostle Paul, when he saw the Lord, he was shining like that rainbow around his head, this mighty angel, held in his hand a little book, and he stood with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea, proclaiming the powerful gospel. Because he was saying, I'm going to make these two one. No more Jew, no more Gentile through the gospel. No more wars. But in your diversity, one person in Christ Jesus. Okay, never mind, never mind. Yes. Yes. And so there was the book of wars. Then, of course, there was the book of the law. Everybody heard that one? So it was the book of the law, and a copy of it was supposed to be kept in the ark with the manna, with Aaron's rod that budded. In fact, every king that was coronated afterwards... Now, remember, that was the book by which God led the people of Israel when he was king. But they said, we want another king. So they rejected God and they chose an earthly king, Saul being the first. And every king was supposed to get a a copy, and, and they were not diligent in that. And one day a young man sent in, because he saw the temple was in ruin, he sent the priests and the Levites in, and they did a clean out, and they started looking into the treasury for the money because they were going to do renovations in the temple. And then they found a book that was full of spiderwebs and dust, and they took it out and they gave it to the king. And when he read it, he realized this is the law of God. And he repented, and his name was Josiah, and he brought about, like with Hezekiah, one of the greatest revival reforms amongst the people of Israel. But by then it was really late because they hadn't had the word hidden in their hearts, and they were not governing and ruling properly. But the book of the law was supposed to be something every king had. So that he could rule and lead according to God's ways and God's principles. Amen. That's why I was so excited and put that video clip on when the Bible in his family line that came out of the Hebridean revival is now sitting in the White House and it was given to Donald Trump. Amen. Because some of you know his ancestors got it from that revival. So, yeah, amen. So, we need to have Bibles in houses of government. Is that okay? Our constitutions, we should be leading according to the word. Amen. And so there was the book of the law. And uh, just, just to throw a couple of things in, then we start coming to the books of Samuel. When the kings started, this is when David became king. And the books of Samuel, first and second Samuel, are mainly about the kings. And so Samuel records very much the, the story of David, he was king after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. But did you know Nathan the prophet also wrote a book? Gad the prophet also wrote a book. And they recorded a lot of David's life. And it even says, are they not recorded in the book of Nathan the prophet? And so, also interesting that um, during the time of Joshua, there was a man by the name of Jasher. And he wrote out a lot of the details concerning the sun standing still in the victory that Joshua got. And he said, is it not written in the book of Joshua? Yeah. Yeah. And later Solomon refers to the book of Joshua. And uh, did you know that Samuel wrote a book? He wrote a book and he gave it to the people before he dismissed them. And it was called the book of the manner of the kingdom. It's there. Yeah. The book of the manner of the kingdom. If you want to know what the kingdom's all about, this is it. And he wrote a book. So I know the question comes up, why isn't the book of Joshua in the Bible? Why isn't that book written by Samuel in the Bible? You know, Paul wrote another letter to the church in Corinth. It was lost. It's not included. And they say also one to the Ephesian Christians. That's not in the Bible. Why is not Nathan and Gad's books in there? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit didn't choose those books. Many people were writing, but it was not inspired. Doesn't mean to say it wasn't historically accurate. But remember what we got in the Bible, don't be put off. Someone asked me the question, other what about the book of Enoch? There are quotes in the Bible from the book of Enoch. But it doesn't mean the book of Enoch is inspired. The apocryphal writings that the Catholics include in the Bible is not inspired. And so what we have in the Bible, the Word of God, is complete. You don't have to go and look for the epistle of Judas and, and, and all of these other kind of, you know, all of these things. I mean, there's lots of letters and, and you know, um, BBC and History Channel are trying to say, see, these should be included in the Bible. The Bible is not complete. No, we have a closed, complete canon of scripture. It is the word of God. Yes. Is that okay? Yes. I'm just giving you a little bit of extra information because if you ever read it, because first and second chronicles list the chronicles. The chroniclers wrote of the successes and the failures and the lives of all the other kings. And uh, very often you will read in the book of Chronicles, as for Asa's life are not all the other events of his life and what he did, not written in the book of the annals of the kings or the chronicles or, you know, of the kings. But why were they not included? Because the Holy Spirit didn't want it included. Yeah. What he included was sufficient for us to understand salvation. Is that okay? Good, everybody? Yeah. And so books of Samuel, books of the chronicles of the king, but they were mostly wicked kings. It's Very interesting how um, Solomon wrote also a whole book about the chronicles of his life. Isn't it amazing? And here's a lesson. Here's a lesson. The chronicles of Solomon are not included because here was a man who was spiritual, became unspiritual, but he's reaching by the arm of the flesh to try and be spiritual. Well, you can't. You have to serve God God's way, and then He will do the writing. Is that okay? And so let's be spiritual people. And, of course, the greatest books in the Bible, and I'm just going to, when I say the greatest, I mean they're all great, that are relevant to what we're talking about is when we come to the book of the prophets, which are all the prophetic books. And there's a whole lot of those, major and minor. And then number four is the book of Psalms, because many of the Psalms are very prophetic, many of them. So the book of the law, the book of the prophets. Then I want to just start going somewhere else in a moment. The book of the law, the book of the prophets, the book of the Psalms are really important. Because besides the historical stuff, the history books, when Jesus came and he was talking to the Pharisees and to the people who were listening, he said, I want you to understand all the law, And all the prophets were until the time of John. Now, you've got to get this, okay? Jesus is saying a lot because he has Jesus. He is the subject of the law and the prophets. If you go into the volume of the book, the book at that stage was the Old Testament. And he was saying all the law, all the prophets, those books were until the time of John. In other words, he's starting to say something that everything that they spoke about is. is fulfilled. Here it is. Is that okay? Yeah. And then he said, but the least in the kingdom is greater than the John, who was the greatest of all the, the men of God from right through the Old Testament period. He said, but he's the least. So the least. So if ever you go like, I'm not such a great Christian. I'm not... I'm not as awesome as Andre. Oh, I wish I were. you know. I'm not as amazing as Bear, you know. Listen, you're greater than John. Even if you feel least, you're not the least. But you know what I'm saying? You're greater than John. So all the law, all the prophets, everything when Jesus said, he was saying it's all fulfilled. So you cannot, listen to it, you cannot go to Old Testament Scriptures and say it says anything further than Jesus. You can't say it speaks now to some time ahead of us in the future, like the Antichrist. You can't, because he said it's until Christ. Is that right? So he is now the end, the finish, and the purpose, and the goal of all the law. All of it was going like to him. And I love it. I love it. I love it. One time Jesus said, he was talking about his death, and he said, I need you to understand. Everything that I'm telling you is to fulfill all that was written by the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Yeah. Because many Psalms spoke about his suffering. So all fulfilled. Everyone say fulfilled. fulfilled. Say in Christ all fulfilled. Is it all right? So the incredible thing is we now step into the New Testament period. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. Because it's critical to understanding Revelation 5. So now we come to the New Testament period. You've got to understand yeah. that when the New Testament came, all the books, excepting for four, Five, All the books of the New Testament, except the Gospel of John, 1 John, Second John, Third John, I learned this this week, and the book of Revelation. Yeah. All the rest of it were written over a 40-year period. Yeah. What do you say, 40? Forty, 40. It is a 40-year period. 40 means time of testing, means a time of judgment. It also means a time to end a generation it also means a time to establish That's true. a generation. That's true. That's you got to get this. you got to get this. Yeah. So when Jesus came, he came as the light of the world. He still is the light of the world. He was born into Israel in a very dark time in their history. Very dark time. In fact, with the coming of Jesus, it was the beginning of the day of the wrath of God. In other words, he stepped into a time when it was now a time of darkness, it was the beginning of the wrath of God. It was a time of judgment. It was a day of great darkness for the people of Israel. That's why it's prophesied in Luke that those sitting in gross darkness have seen a great light. Because it was God's last ditch attempt to turn Israel around, to win them, and to bring them salvation. But still they would not. So when Jesus came, and this is where a lot of Bible teachers teaching futuristically and about the end times, get it wrong. Basically, they taught that Jesus will one day come, one day in the rapture as a thief in the night. No, 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 no. No, he came then as a thief in the night. He came into their night, and they didn't know. So he stepped into their night and their darkness. We've got to understand this when we start talking about the opening of the books, because in Revelation 5, when the books began to open, seals were open and horsemen began to run, and there was judgment, and there was vials, and there was judgment on the people of God, the city of God, and 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 and, and, and the temple of God. And those were the judgments, was the destruction of Jerusalem. So he stepped right in. So it's interesting that once you get to first and second and third John in the Gospel of John, there's no thing about the law and condemnation and judgment and having to defeat the devil. I mean those Epistles in the book of John is a breath of fresh air. you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. And He is the light, and in Him was, you know, that light was the life of all men. Or the life was the light of all men. And and He introduces something. So there's nothing about the law, and you've broken the law, and parables. Just talking about this glorious Son of God, you know, this divine person. And He comes, and then He he writes, ah, you know, from the beginning it was love. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I give you a new commandment: love one another. So it's almost and separate to the gospels and the epistles, yeah, really. and it's just glorious and powerful. And of course, he wrote Revelation, yeah. and Revelation is the final prophetic book that puts it all together. Yeah. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on the cross. Good. Yeah. Does that help a little bit yeah. before we step into a couple of things with which we will close? And so the New Testament is. Is really really amazing. I want you to go with me to we read Revelation 5, eh? Yes. The whole chapter. In the right hand of him was what? Scroll. Scroll. A book, a biblos, written within and without. Is that okay? What was the condition of that book? It was closed. It was sealed with seven seals. Is that okay? Hundreds of years ago, the prophet Daniel writes. He sees this, sees this picture. Yeah. and uh, So let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Good. I hope I'm not bamboozling you with too much information. No. But you will, as we go along, you, you're going to just be more amazed. Good. So we're going to the book of Daniel, the prophet, which was in the book of the prophets. In Daniel chapter 7, now remember Daniel was in exile. It was prophesied in the law. God said to them, if you continue breaking the law, you will go into exile. You'll be dispersed, conquered by another nation, and I'll disperse you there. So the fact that they went into exile was a fulfillment of the judgment of God. And they come back, and they start the synagogue system, and they still don't repent. But God is still being patient with them. So when Jesus comes, it is basically the last days now. Not last days before the end of the world and the Antichrist comes. No, it's the last days for Israel and its religious system. It's the last days. It's the last of the last days. In the last days. So over and over again, Daniel says, at the end. In the end of days. He's not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the end of your world, Israel. The end of your land. The end of you as a people. The end of your religious system. The end of your temple. Okay, it'll help you, Yeah. So in Daniel chapter 7, it's the year of Belteshazzar. Uh, Daniel has this vision. And remember what's happening now is Daniel read the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, God said you will go into captivity for 70 years. Daniel starts counting, and he goes like, it's almost 70 years. He was an old man by now. He's probably in his 90s. And by now he's an old man. And he starts to pray. I mean, he's really praying three times a day. Remember when they said no prayer? He opened the windows, and he prayed three times a day because he was saying, God, this prophecy has got to come to pass. Amen. 70 years, you said, and then back. And then it was right exactly on time when um, Cyrus wrote the decree. And so God starts to show him four empires, four beasts are going to come up out of the sea. The sea is what? Nations. So out of the nations, not out of Israel, it's going to come four beasts. Well, what were the four beasts? Well, we know it from the dream he had of the statue. There was the Babylonian Empire, followed by the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the Greek Empire, followed by the Roman Empire. And he goes and he talks about the fourth beast, which was most terrible, and that had iron teeth. And, of course, the iron was the feet of the statue, and that was the Roman Empire. Remember, he said in Psalm 2, I will rule you with a rod of iron. So he was ruling Israel, and Rome was the instrument of God's judgment with a rod of iron. So they had iron teeth. Can you see the symbolism? All right. And so, you know, and the horns and all of these kinds of things. And then he hears this horn speak, verse 8. And then it says this in verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow. Does this not sound like what I read during worship? Yeah. Jesus, Revelation 1, His garments as white as snow, Revelation, 4, heaven opened, and the hair of His head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flames, and His wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before Him. Thousand, thousands ministered unto him, and 10,000 times, 10,000, we saw that in Revelation 5. In other words, an innumerable number of angels stood before him. Listen to this. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Everybody say, the books were opened. So if you put this vision in time sequence, even though it happened hundreds of years before John, this vision time-wise was before Revelation 5. When he saw a sealed book. So the books were opened. It's okay. It will all come together, right? And the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. In other words, all those empires would disappear. Babylonian Empire, Roman Empire, Persian Empire would all be destroyed. As concerning the rest, they were allowed to continue for a while. I saw in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven woo, 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 and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought Him near before Him and there was given Him, who? Jesus, the Ancient of Days, dominion, and glory, and a kingdom. Yeah. Everybody say a kingdom. a kingdom. In other words, who was it given to? Jesus. Was that all right? So when Jesus pitches up And stands and in front of the Pharisees and everybody else, he says, I understand the Lord and the prophets will tell John, now here I am. So what's he coming with? Power and dominion and glory in the kingdom. So that's why it was the end of the kingdom of Israel, was now the beginning of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, where the angel puts his foot on the earth and on the seas, and he brings it all together so that with Israel, God's intention was that we are all now one in Christ through the gospel. Is that Okay. And then he says, and he was given him dominion, and uh, so people from nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. In other words, every other kingdom, political, earthy, or religious, was going to come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. And then his kingdom. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by, and I asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Then he explains all of it. And then verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. So judgment was made in favor of the saints, in favor of the kingdom. So in other words, when Jesus came on earth, it was the beginning of, of the time of judgment for Israel, a nation who had continuously rejected God, who even then rejected the Christ, who was the final prophet, rejected Him. And God says, okay, I'm going to start opening the books, and judgment will be made in favor of the saints, the church. These will be the kingdom from now on. Let me just throw in some spiritual stuff here. A spiritual truth and application. That judgment still stands. It doesn't matter what, you know, Bill Gates does, because the gates of hell shall not prevail. Okay. It doesn't matter what Deep State does. It doesn't matter what nobody does to try and control this world. Judgment has been made in favor of the saints. And there shall be the kingdom forever and ever, world without end. Amen. So it doesn't matter what your boss does. It doesn't matter what a partner does. It doesn't matter what anyone does to try and diddle you in business. At the end of the day, God has made judgment in favor of the saints. And we shall rule and reign on this earth. Come on. Amen? Amen. That's why I keep telling you, it doesn't matter what Bill Gates does. It doesn't matter what the World Health Organization, it doesn't matter if they're behind the COVID thing and they're going to make billions and all of this kind of thing because they too shall fall. Their bodies shall burn like every other great empire. They won't take over the world. It's not going to get darker. It's going to get better. We're going to win. Woo! Amen. Amen. So he said he was grieved. And anyway, so, okay, the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came, the saints possessed the kingdom. This is what he's seeing. So, of course, Jesus had to come. So Jesus came. Remember, you know, um, in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel's looking. Gabriel is giving him the interpretation. He's writing down, writing down. When he's written everything down, the angel says to him, okay, seal it up until the time of the end. So the books were sealed and closed. Yeah. Yeah. Sealed. Yeah. Closed. In Ezekiel. Ezekiel is making a contract. God says to him, go and buy a field. Yes. Ezekiel 32, 33, somewhere around yeah. there. Go and buy a field. Jesus comes along and he says, there was a man who came yeah. and he found a pearl of great price in a field. And... Uh, hid the pearl and he went away and he got money and he came back and he bought the field. Once he bought the field, he took out the pearl. And he was talking about Jesus who came, saw the pearl of great price. And then he went away and he paid the price. For God so loved the world. And he came and he bought the field. And he said, right, let me get the pearl of great price out. And he has Ezekiel. God says, go and buy the field in the presence of the Jews, it says. He writes up the contract, and then God says, seal it. And he seals it, and he puts seals. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was prophetic of a time when Jesus would come, and the contract for buying the field was all rolled up in a scroll and sealed. Come on, come on. I mean, that's powerful. So you can go and have a read of that. And so then Jesus came, and it was a time, it was too late, but God was still trying to reach out. God was still giving them 40 years. So up until about AD 32, 33, somewhere around there, the whole ministry of Jesus came three and a half years preaching the gospel. In uh, Luke chapter, is it chapter 5, verse 17, or 4, verse 17, it says, you know, Pharisees came from all over, and they were all sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. But they rejected him, and he healed a lame man. But he was trying to show them you're crippled in your religion, and this is what I could have done for you. But still they rejected him. Then he wept over Jerusalem, and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known the day of your visitation, but now it's going to be destruction." And then Jesus says in Luke chapter 22 or so, he says, This is the day of vengeance. Now it's begun. And so Revelations chapter 5 when he says the lion of the tribe of Judah's roared because he's going on conquest. He's going to defeat, but he defeated as a lamb slain. Yeah. And the moment he died on the cross, the scroll began to be open. Yeah. And listen, good news for us. Judgment fell on Israel. Judgment fell on the temple. Judgment fell on the city through the riding of the horses, vials and trumpets and different things that happened and and woes. And what had to happen, Israel had to cease as a nation. Jerusalem had to cease as a city. The temple had to cease as an institution for religion because God was creating a new Jerusalem, a new city of God, a new priesthood. And while the old was standing, the new could not be instituted. And when the old was removed, he instituted the new and he says, possess the kingdom Amen. with the opening of the book. So I want you to know that there's something even bigger than this that we're going to start looking at next week. Okay, Something even greater. But have you got it a little bit? Everybody say the books are open. The seals are broken. The line of the tribe of Judah has triumphed by becoming the lamb slain. Amen. Say, judgment has been made in my favor for me to possess the kingdom. So there's nothing stopping from me inheriting the kingdom that is mine, the kingdom of God. Amen. And this kingdom shall continue to increase and grow and expand, as Daniel said. And this rock, everybody say, this rock of the kingdom that was cut out, not by human hands, that struck the statue and brought down worldly kingdoms is going to grow until it fills all of the earth. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples and he says, right, go out. I'm giving you authority to cast out demons, power to lay hands, power to heal the sick. So they go out. Jesus says, take nothing with you. And then they go, off they go. And now they come back and they go, Some of them even said, and I'm sure it was the Apostle John, said, yowza. And when he got really excited, he said, wowza, Jesus. And then maybe it was Peter who said, even demons came out in the power of your name. We just said Jesus and demons came out. And man, Lord Jesus should have seen, when, woo-woo. And Jesus is so excited, he jumps and twirls in the air. He does an agalio. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, woo Something I saw that you didn't see, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. <laughs> because it was the beginning of the establishment of the king. Amen. He says, but I don't want you to rejoice that demons or spirits, he said spirits, not demons. Spirits are subject to you in my name because spirits is broader than demons because demons are spirits. But angels are also spirits and we are spirits. So he was basically saying, I've given you authority over every realm. In every sphere, I've given you authority in heaven where the angels are, and on earth where people are, and under the earth where demons are. I've given you power over all the realms. Okay? Every realm, you've got power and authority. Power and authority to tread down scorpions. But I don't want you to rejoice on that. There's something bigger, there's something higher that I want you to rejoice in. Because Satan's place of authority through the law, he's lost it. He operates in those heavenly realms. But I want you to rejoice in this, that now your names, I want you to rejoice rather that your names are written in the the Lamb's book of life. He didn't say those words there, but later on we will see. Book of life. He actually said that your name is written down in heaven. Is that good? That realm where he would operate, but in a higher place, in heaven, not yes. first heaven, not second heaven, where the demon and, you know, would operate, second, third heaven, because the devil operates in this breathable space. I do not believe Satan has got access into the presence of God. He cannot have. If God says to us as natural people, you cannot see my face and live, what gives Satan the right of access? Nothing. Nothing. If your theology was that he was once one of the archangels, maybe then he had access. But we have seen, in this church, we've seen he was not an archangel. He was created by God to be a deceiver, Isaiah. And so he was created. So he never had access to God, never could go. He can't go walking up into the throne room and go, Hey, God, well, you know what? Check this out. He can't do that. He can't get there. He can accuse us in our consciences before God to God, but he doesn't have right of access, so he was thrown out of the realm where he operates, that's the realm in which we operate now, is that okay, so Jesus saw him fall and he says, well, now you're there, so I mean, literally, you know, those people that put those nice things on Facebook, like, you know, when your alarm goes off in heaven, the devil gets terrified because you're awake now, it's a reality, it's true, it's true, amen, his heart starts palpitating. You know, it's a very dark heart full of evil. But his heart starts when your alarm goes up and goes, like, oh, no, he's, they're up, you know. They're awake. It's going to be hell for me today. <laughs> it's going to be a hell of a day today because <laughs> those kingdom people are up, you know. And so our names are written. Everybody say, my name is written. My name's written. It's, inscribed in it's inscribed in his hand. It's written into the Lamb's Book of Life. Book of Life. Is that Okay. And so last verses, Job, I promise you, promise you last verses. I have to read these two because they're really powerful. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, probably written sometime before the flood. We don't know who wrote the book of Job, but I'm grateful for the book of Job. I'm sure Job wished he had a book of Job (laughs) to read when he was going through a hard time. But he had to go through by faith, and then it was written for our sake. But when we go through a hard time, it's like just keep on keeping on, keep on. It's going to, God will vindicate us. But in Job 31, verse 35, in the King James translation, it says, Now remember, Job doesn't know what's going on. He gets his wife, he's got friends that all gather around him and say, You know, it's because you sinned. And he's going, ah, But I didn't. And they all come, Job's comforters, you know, and they're going on and on and on and on with this false. Until eventually, right at the end, he gets it and goes like, Hey, no, no, we're who? Come, buta. Come, Shamwari. Come. Come, out, China. Hoza, Sit. And he teaches them. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, this is what he says. Job 31 verse 5, 35. Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. Because remember, God was quiet. And that mine adversary had written a book because then I could refer to the book, instead of all these false, foundless accusations. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing, says the NIV. You've all heard that incredible phrase that Job made when he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. Should I put it in context for you? In Job 19, verse 23 to 26, he says, Oh, that my words were now written. Well, they are. They are written. Mm. Oh, that they were printed in a book. They are, are, Job. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day. Upon the earth. Yeah. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Wow. Wow. Talking about the resurrection. Yeah. Why? Because he said, there's a book written about me. Yeah. There's a book written of my conversation, my voice. In other words, I'm written into that book. Amen. Amen. that good? So Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the book, the book of life. We want to thank you for the volume of the book. We want to thank you for every book that is written and recorded and put together in this one marvelous book we call the Bible. We want to thank you that because of the Spirit, that book is no longer sealed and, and there's much more to it than that. But Lord, I want to thank you that book is no longer sealed. That book is open you have been revealed. Lord, I want to thank you. You're not the mystery kept hidden for ages and generations past. But Through men like Paul, I want to thank you that Christ is now revealed. The book is open. Your life is an open book. I want to thank you. You've made us open books, living epistles, known and read of all. Father, we want to thank you for it in Jesus' name. Lord, bless your people. Bless their hearing. Bless their understanding. Give them insight. Lord, we want to understand your word. We want to be workmen that needeth not be ashamed. We want to rightly divide the truth of the word. And so, Father, over the next few weeks, as we've laid the foundation this morning, God, just continue to open our understanding. Give us insight to understand the mystery of your word. Father, I pray for a greater anointing and a greater ability, a greater inspiration of your Holy Spirit upon us. That as we go through this series, suddenly your word becomes alive. It becomes rich. It's full of depth and meaning and insight. Thank you that the book of Revelation suddenly becomes to us the revelation of Jesus Christ. We pray it in your precious name. We all agreed and said, Amen. amen. Amen.